knowing the kingdom of God, knowing the kingdom of God, knowing the kingdom of God. A few, a few uh, years ago, I, I always share that I, I wasn't always a Christian. I used to be an atheist, and I used to argue the things of God and the ideas of God and the philosophies of God and etc. Um, and one of the th- arguments that I still, I still always have, it, it, it came from this philosopher, George Berkeley. And, and, and George Berkeley, um, he started this idea, and you all may have heard it. If a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? How many of you have heard that before? All right. So a tree falls in a forest, there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? How many of you believe that it makes a sound? How many of you believe that it doesn't make a sound? Awesome. So, so we have both in the house. So the argument is that it, it couldn't make a sound or it couldn't make a sound. Um, it couldn't make a sound because sound is defined by something that is heard. And so if no one's there to hear it, how could it possibly make a sound if it's not heard? And, and then the, the argument for it making a sound is that, well, it does make a sound, but it's just that there's no one there to hear it. But if there's no one there to hear it, then it's not really a sound because sound is defined by the wave that moves into your ears and, it, and it's heard. And so is it really a sound? And it's a philosophical debate, and oftentimes it gets thrown into the religious debate as well. But I want you to consider the tree. I want you to think about this tree that has fallen. The tree that has fallen, the environment does its job of, of, of whatever environmental process that it causes the tree to fall. So what, it erodes, whatever it is, and the tree has fallen. So the tree does its job, and, and, and the nature does its job, and the tree cooperates by falling. And then gravity cooperates with nature and with the tree, and it's pulling the tree down to the ground. And then the atmosphere of the earth does its job by allowing the tree to break through the wind to fall to the ground. Even the ground does its job by receiving the, the tree and allowing the tree to fall on the ground. And so this process works perfectly and thus produces a sound, right? But whatever noise that it makes, whether it's within the falling or the breaking, somewhere between the tree falling and here, the sound could maybe stir up a squirrel that's nearby, right? A startle him. Or it might warn a raccoon who's in the path of the tree and that the tree wouldn't fall on the raccoon, so the raccoon would have to hear the sound to move away. But the premise of the question comes because a man shows up and he sees a fallen tree. And the man who shows up and sees a fallen tree is asking the question, did this tree make a sound when it fell? And, and so the man comes to the conclusion that it perhaps didn't make a sound. And what the man does is he defines reality and nature based on himself. And so he is saying it does not make a sound because I wasn't there to hear it. And if I wasn't there to hear it, then I don't really know if it made a sound. And so later on, when this man comes, he defines this, this, this process. And even in the absence of all the living thing, if there's no raccoon, if there's no squirrel, if there's nothing else that happens there, this man makes himself the center of reality, the definer of reality, and he's no longer just a part of the reality. He is defining the elements of what is by his own presence. So Genesis 1 talks about, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, right? So the earth was empty, and darkness was all over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in verse 3, it says that God said, let there be light. And so this is before God created a man. So God said something, and there was no man there to hear it. And so did God really make a sound was the argument that we used to pose, right? So God said, the earth was empty, and then God said something, but no one was there to hear it. And so God made a sound before he made a man. And if God made a sound before he made a man, then man can't be the center of defining God's sound. And then what happens from there is that God's sound is actually the thing that made a man. And so man is not the center. Man is a part of the creation. And he did not witness it, but it did happen because God said, let there be light. And there's evidence of light. So we can conclude that God said something because there is evidence we can conclude that the tree made a sound because there's evidence that it fell. Do you guys following me? Yeah. I'm going to go through some philosophy here because I want you to understand something that's a little bit deeper. So though you may not have witnessed it, it should be assumed that it made a sound. Though you didn't witness it, it should be assumed that it made a sound. Though you weren't there when God said, let there be light, the fact that there is light, and there's a corresponding word saying that God said, let there be light, it should be assumed that God said something even though you weren't there to hear it because there's evidence to bring you to that assumption. You guys are like, I feel like I'm back in class again. <laughs> right? I feel like I'm back in college class. Right? So, so hearing, hearing the sound, however, this is the point I want to make, hearing the sound is so much better than assuming that there was a sound. 
It would have been so much better if the man was there to hear the sound because the sound is actually there for the man to hear. And so it makes more sense for you to hear the sound than to just assume that there's a sound. We can come to the conclusion that there was a sound because there's a fallen tree. We can come to the conclusion that God said because there is still light. But it's so much better to hear the sound than to assume the sound. What I'm saying is that you can know about the kingdom and not really know the kingdom. You can know about Jesus and not really know Jesus. You can understand the evidence and you can understand the philosophy. You can understand the history. You can understand apologetics. You can have all this theology and all this understanding because of the evidence that is produced and still never have been there to hear the sound. It's so much better to hear the sound. You can enjoy the light. You can see the sun burning in space and you can conclude that God said something, God made something, but wouldn't it have been better to have been in the space where God is doing all of this because it's so much better for us to hear the sound. This is why when the 11 disciples were trying to replace Judas, they came to the conclusion that it had to be someone who walked with Jesus and not just someone who knew about Jesus because you can only share the experience that you had if you were there. Because, because you are to be a witness. In, 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 in all essence, I'm saying that today I believe you can hear the sound. I believe that you can hear the sound of the kingdom and you don't have to assume it just because of the facts. I believe that you can hear the sound of Christ. I believe that you can hear the breath of Christ. I believe you can hear the word of God and not just read it. I I believe that you can actually hear the sound of the fallen tree, even though it has already fallen, because you cannot live your life based on the simple assumption and the mathematical equation and the processes of science to come to the conclusion that there is a God. That, that, That is not called faith. Faith is not adding up all the facts and then coming to a conclusion. Faith requires an experience. And, and I believe that if you're following Jesus because of the facts and because of history and because it makes sense and because there's no other logical explanation, you've come to a fallen tree and you've assumed that there's a sound. But I believe today that God wants to reproduce the sound. He wants to reverberate the echoes between time and eternity and allow you to hear the sound that was produced when the tree fell so that you can witness and bear witness of a sound. How can you tell someone that there was a sound if you didn't hear it? You're just passing on your own assumptions and not your own experience. And so the tree's laying in the the forest and there's evidence, but there is no witness. There was no witness of the sound. And this is the problem because in the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, it says that you're called to be witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses. And you can't be his witness if you didn't witness him because then you'll be bearing false witness. And he says to not bear false witness. And so you have to have had experienced something of what is going on with God. And this is why we've got to witness the sound so that we don't have to be experts in explaining philosophy and explaining theology, that you pass on what you have. You pass on the experience. You have to hear the sound. You have to hear the sound. So I'm of the mindset that if you're not there to hear the sound, It made a sound, but it doesn't matter. Why does it matter if it made a sound if you didn't hear it? Because it it didn't do anything for you. It didn't give you an experience. You weren't in awe by the greatness of this giant tree falling. You didn't feel the wind that was there. That's the totality of the experience that I believe that God wants us to have. So there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something is what I'm saying, right? In knowing about something. So people know about you. People know about you because you got Facebook and you got Instagram and you got Twitter. And so you post up a picture of you on vacation. You post up a picture of your kids and then someone likes that picture. They push the heart and then they see you at some point and they're like, hey, I know you. They see you in the supermarket. Hey, I know you. They don't know you. They know what you've presented on Facebook and on social media about you, but they don't know you. They know about you. That's how gossip works because somebody told someone something about you and then they told them enough facts about you. And then when you come face-to-face with them and you confront them about the facts, you will tell them, how could you hate me and you don't even know me? Because all you know are facts. Because the facts of something doesn't make you know something. Someone can know about you but not really know you. In, in, in Hebrew, the, the word for know is yada. Everybody say yada. Yada. And, and yada is such a good word for know because every time you see yada in Scripture, in your Bibles, it'll probably say something like, um, like new like no, but it's this hidden word and it's secretive. And what it really means, it's to lay with someone in intimacy. Adam knew his wife and they bore a child. 
It wasn't that Adam had knowledge of who his wife was and Adam knew his wife's name and Adam knew what she liked and knew. It's like there was a deep and intimate knowledge and it was an ongoing knowledge and it was such a great conclusion of the two things together that they know each other so well that it concluded in intimacy and it culminated itself and it produced something. That's the kind of knowledge I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of knowledge where whatever you know, you engage in it in such a way that it produces an offspring. That's how you bear witness. That's how you bear witness to what you know because you engage in it. If Adam only knew his wife from afar, her name is Eve and she likes trees and she is naked. That does not produce an offspring and Adam knows about his wife, but he doesn't know his wife. It's not until Adam gets closer to his wife and becomes more knowledgeable of her. And in his knowledge, this is, this, is, this is why the perversion of having sex outside of marriage is so wrong because it kind of puts you in a place of doing the deepest part of knowing someone without really knowing someone. And so you start to produce an offspring without the process of intimacy that it takes to get there because there's some stuff that leads up to knowing someone in that kind of a way that when you produce an offspring, it is, it is the opposite side of the equal sign of what you have come together to produce. It is the two of you who have come together and you know each other so well. And it's not just that you knew someone, it's that you're ongoing in knowing them. So there's three types of people in your life. Not strangers, because those people aren't in your life. Three types of people. One person is the person who have never known you at all, right? Those are the people who are in this room, for instance. You've seen them in church week after week, but you don't really know them. These are the people who Jesus would say, away from me, you do of iniquity. I never knew you because you know things about me, but you don't really know me. You might, you might see me, but you don't really know me. Like we don't, we don't have this ongoing intimate relationship that produces something, right? And then the other types of person is, is, is the people who you cease to know eventually. So that's someone who you once knew. So you say, how could I once, knew, how could I once have known someone if I don't know them anymore? I, I've shared the story before of when I was a police officer and I was just off the force and I responded to the robbery. You guys remember I told you the story of the robbery at the Burger King and I show up there and it's my best friend from middle school. And you know what he said? Denville, it's me, I know you. I'm like, fool, you knew me. <laughs> you, you knew me because at some point you, you, you remember me as I was but you don't know me as I am because knowledge is progressive. It has to be ongoing and progressive, and we're no longer producing, like, your life and my life together are no longer producing any kind of fruit, so you knew me. We once knew each other. Our friendship used to produce joy. It used to produce a social status. It used to produce the things that we used to do together. So we used to be friends. We used to know each other, and it was ongoing, but at some point, we no longer know each other, and so I knew him. So he says, Denville, I know you. I said, you know me as I was, because the person who I knew would not be here robbing uh, Burger King. And the person who you knew would not be a cop. <laughs> the person who you knew would not be a Christian. So at some point, you knew me as I was, but you don't know me as I am. And then the last one, the people who actually know you. We talked a lot about the, the deepest thing of the human heart is to be known. Like your desire is to be known. You want to be known by someone. You want to not just like know the facts about you, but you want someone to know you deeply. And your desire is to know someone deeply because that's what you were made for. And so someone who actually knows you, is, and it's a continual depth. It's an ongoing process. This is why you have lifelong friends and lifelong relationships. And that's why they have to keep on going and they have to continue to reproduce. This is why we do communion because we remember Christ, not as he was, but he says, every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And it's an ongoing process and it's an ongoing in revelation. This is why you can't live off of yesterday's manna because yesterday's manna is no good for what God is doing today because it's a continual growth and it's a continual process of what God is doing. You guys with me? So to know about something and to know something, it gets more exciting, fear not. And so it is not knowledge that's based on deductive reasoning. It is knowledge that is based on experience. And so to know the kingdom of God, you have to experience it. And to know Jesus, you have to experience him. And my prayer for us today is that we would become so dissatisfied with just knowing about something. And I want you to think about the things of God that you know about. I know about healing. I know about prophecy. I know about, I, I know about joy. I know about peace. I know about holiness. I know about purity. 
How much of those things do you know about, but they're not incorporated in your life in such an ongoing process that it's culminated in itself and producing fruits of righteousness? Like, I understand it. I give people advice all the time, and, and when I counsel, people always tell me, yeah, pastor, I know. Like, I'm not talking about what you know. I'm saying it's not your experience, so you don't know it. You understand it, you know about it, but you don't know it. And that's why it's not in your life, and that's why you're not bearing fruit, and that's why you're not being witnesses, that's why you're not making disciples, because head knowledge is fooling itself for heart knowledge. Something that you understand intellectually, and you understand it so well intellectually that you think that it's your experience, but it's not your experience. This thing has held me back for so long because, because I love to read books, and I've read so many books, and I understood so many things, and I was like, man, I must be a prophet and a priest. <laughs> Because, because I know this, like, I, I understand it so well. But then when came the time to actually judge my life rightfully, I had not engaged the truth that I understood in such a way that it was producing fruit in my life. And so I was bearing false witness because I understood something so well. In 1 John verse 1 to 3, in chapter 1, this is what John says about Jesus. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from, from the beginning, who we have heard, and we have seen. He says, we have seen him with our own eyes, and we have touched him with our own hands, and the word of life, and this is the one who himself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify, and we proclaim to you. Do you see all this? John is saying, I didn't just hear about Jesus. I didn't just show up somewhere, and someone told me, Jesus died on a cross for your sins, and if you say this prayer and receive him, then maybe you'll be a Christian, and then just try to do better. John said, no, 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 no. I'm not that kind of person. I knew him. I touched him. I, I know what he smells like. I, I'm like Adam in a garden where I understand his footsteps coming close towards me. I know his words. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they respond to it because there's something about knowing. John says, I don't just know about Jesus. He says, I know him, and I'm testifying to you about the thing that I know, about the thing that is intimate, about the thing that is reproductive, and I want to produce people out of my experience and not just my knowledge. This is what I proclaim to you. And, And he goes on and says, that he, he was with the Father and that he was revealed to us and we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the one, the Father, who is Jesus Christ. He says, I'm, I'm not just giving you what I've heard about. I'm, I, I didn't come to a fallen tree and I'm trying to convince you that it made a sound. John says, I heard the sound and, and I felt the wind and the branch actually broke off and hit me. This is my experience that I'm giving away. And if I don't have this experience, I cannot bear witness. You cannot bear witness without an experience. The only witness you will bear is the false witness to yourself that you actually have had an experience when you have not had an experience. This is why pornography is so bad because it causes you to think that you've had an experience that you really didn't have an experience and it satisfies and pacifies something and it interrupts real relationships because now you, ne- you don't want real relationship because you think that you have this thing. Jesus says something like, if the darkness that you think you have is light, then how dark is that darkness? Because you have darkness and you think it's light. That means that you're pacified with what you have and you lack the real experience because you're pacifying yourself with the false thing. This is what Jesus talks about when Jesus comes and Jesus says that the law was given through Moses, but I've come to fulfill the law. This is pacifying you, but the real experience is here. And now you don't don't want the real experience because you're pacified with the dead works. Righteousness has come in its true form and you've rejected it because you're pacified with years and years of what you understand intellectually and it's not bearing fruit. And so John is saying that he has come because he has heard a sound. And John is not just telling you about the sound. John is saying, I don't just want to explain the sound to you. I want to give you the sound. You guys guys got to get this. John says, I want to give you the sound so that way when I give you the sound, the sound is going to reverberate itself inside of you. And then when you bear witness, you can't even explain the sound. It's just a sound that you give away. Guys, killing me. (laughs) Guys, guys are killing me. John says that I know him personally. 
And John is proclaiming that he has felt and touched. In fact, John calls him the one from the beginning. John says, we knew him, the one from the beginning. And the reason why John calls him the one from the beginning is because John wants you to know that the sound that God made when he said, let there be light. He says, no one was there to hear it. You're right. I wasn't there. No one was there. But at some point, that same sound, the word that God spoke, it became flesh and dwelt among us. And when it dwelt among us, we held him and we beheld his glory. And so, though, listen to me, wake up, listen. No one was there in the beginning in Genesis when God made a sound, but the sound became a flesh in the person of Jesus. And Jesus came as the word so that you can get the sound that God made so that you can know. That's why Hebrews says it's by faith that we know that God formed the world because faith has come in the person of Christ and the sound that God made is now manifested into flesh. And so Jesus doesn't come to explain himself. He comes to give you himself. This is why you receive Christ. And not just hear about him because he's giving you a sound. He's not coming to talk to you. That's why the Pharisees were trying to understand what he was saying and they missed it. He's like, you've got to take, it's me. I'm the sound. In the beginning, I'm the word. And the word was with God and and the word was God. And then the word became flesh. And it said, and to those who received him, if you receive the flesh, you'll get the word. But if you just try to listen to it and understand it and perceive it and come to conclusions based on the information and the calculation and philosophy and doctrine and theology, you're going to miss it. Because you would understand the sound, but you would never really hear the sound. And you can't witness a sound that you have never heard. You're going to hear the sound today. You're going to hear the sound today. Right? Because this is, because this is what he's talking about. So, 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 so John says, and in, 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 this is the, the epistle Um, that John writes. And then in his gospel, the book of John, he writes that um, Jesus was in the world and that the world was made through him and that the world did not know him. That's funny. The world was made through him and the world did not know him. How could the world be made through something and then the world not know something? It's like it had, like they saw him, they knew his name, they called him Jesus. Isn't this Mary's boy? Didn't he hang out with Joseph? Like, we understand him. We've seen him. We, we know him. How could John say that the world did not know him? It says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man but the will of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten father, full of grace and full of truth. This is, I want you to just take that passage. If you're in your Bible, John one, verse 10 to 14, I want to extrapolate that passage. And what I want to do is I'm going to tell you about that passage. And I want to tell you the story of Zacchaeus. And I want to illustrate this to you in the story of Zacchaeus. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm believing will happen today is that we will be positioned to actually hear the sound. But here's what has to happen, though. One of the things that has to happen is the things that you understand intellectually that you have no experience with at some point, like we need to be honest about where we are. We need to be honest about where we are, right? Like, I'm the type of guy who, if I'm walking in the mall and someone comes and asks me if I know Jesus, I'm going to tell them, hey, I'm a pastor. Good. Of course I know about Jesus. You know what I mean? And it's arrogant. Right? It's like, it's, it's like, it's like arrogance. I'm like, I, I know. Whatever you're going to tell me, I already know it. Like, can I pray for you? I can pray for myself. I've got prayer teams. And, and, and it's this attitude. It's this, it's this attitude of, like, I know it already, so I don't need it. And we miss the experience. We miss the experience because the head pacifies where the experience can be filled. John, I'm sorry, Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. It's the story of Zacchaeus. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus? But you know that it's not a children's story. Just because he was short, they make it a little children's story. I know that somewhere in heaven, Zacchaeus is like, man, I'm not a child. I'm just short. Right? I'm not a little kid. This is not a kid story. This is a real story of Zacchaeus. And so the story of Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus, you know, the guy who climbed up in a tree to see Jesus, and Jesus came and ate at his house. You guys have heard the story, yes? All right. So the story of Zacchaeus really illustrates this point of knowing the kingdom of God. And, and so the verse starts out, if you, if you can go there for me in, in Luke, 
Jesus is walking with his disciples. I want you to, to envision this. The word becomes flesh and it dwells amongst them. And those who have received the word, those who are growing with Jesus, they're walking with Jesus. And Jesus is headed into Jerusalem. And he's headed into Jerusalem because he's about to be crucified. And he's about to bring salvation to the whole world. He's about to change time and eternity in a way that no one even knew was about to happen. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he says, He entered into Jericho as he was passing through. Everybody say passing through. As he was passing through. Jesus was just passing through. And his disciples were ready to go to Jerusalem because they knew that this was the epic turning point of his ministry. And he was about to overthrow the Roman Empire. And they were about to get some thrones and seats in the kingdom. So they were excited to get into Jerusalem. They were like, let's just get into Jerusalem. Let's run through Jericho and get to Jerusalem. But he says he was passing through. I just love the passing through God. Like the God who's just passing through the narrative in that he, he, what, what God has for you is not reserved for the destination. Because sometimes we could be so fixed on the destination that we never really enjoy the process. You know, we always talk about enjoying the process along the way. And so they just want to get to Jerusalem and they miss that Jesus is passing through. He didn't even mean to go through Jericho, Right. He's just passing through. But wherever he's passing through, something is happening wherever he's passing through. And so you can't be fixed on just where he's taking you because wherever he's taking you is the destination. But he's going to the cross. I want you to picture this. He's going to the cross. And as he's going to the cross to bring salvation, the salvation that he's about to bring stretches back from the cross and salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house. So he doesn't even need to get to the destination because the point in the process and the power of the destination is in the process as well. So he brings, he brings salvation to Zacchaeus' house before salvation even happens at the cross. And he was just passing through. That, 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 he, he, he wasn't even trying to go there. Because he's so, if you're anything like, like me, I'm excited about where God is about to bring me. And I'm like, God, you promised me that I'm going to have this and this, and I just can't wait to get there. And the moment that I get there, I'm going to be so glad. But he's like, the process though, because some of the things that I'm about to bring you, it's in the process. Because in the end, there's no more weeping, no more dying, no more crying, and no more death. The old things have passed away and the new things have come, and your sins are washed away. I want you to wait until the end before you experience that. Jesus says, no, I'm going to break away from the end, and I'm bringing the power in the cross now. And so the thing that you're waiting for at the end No more dying, no more weeping, no more crying, no more death. The old things passed away. The new has come, the washing away of your sins. You don't have to wait until you get to the destination because I'm doing it in the process. And so before you get to the end, I'm bringing you the power of the end. And so you can be forgiven now. You can be healed now. You can be saved now. Don't get so fixed on the destination. Many people just want to get to heaven. I just want to get to heaven. Heaven is trying to come into the earth and that's the message of the kingdom. That's the message of the kingdom. That's why you got to enjoy the process. And you don't need to be discouraged by detours. You don't need to be discouraged by detours just because it's not the, the destination because Jesus was just passing through. He was just passing through. He's just, he's just passing through. That's why you got to let him work on whatever he wants to work on. I, don't, I feel like I want to preach. This is why you got to let him work on what he wants to work on. Because you think that he should be working on your marriage. But he's not working on your marriage right now. He's, he's, he's working on this other little thing with, with your sister. And he's working on this thing. But you thought, he, he's like, this is a destination I've been praying for. But if you enjoy the process, I'm just going to pass through this. Uh, like, fix my finances. I'm just going to pass through your marriage. I want to get this degree. I'm just going to pass through your relationship with your father. You got to let him pass through. Wherever he's passing through, there's power. There's, there's power in where he's going. And if you check your attitude, you might have dinner with a rich man. This is the story of Zacchaeus. If you, if you check your attitude, that might happen. In fact, in Luke chapter 17, he was just passing through Samaria. You remember that? The, the 10 lepers? He wasn't trying to heal 10 lepers. He's trying to go to Jerusalem and he's passing through. The 10 lepers just happened to say something because they realized that God was there. This message might not be for you, but it's just passing through your life. You could say, I'm going to come next week because next week's message is the one I want to hear. Or I'm going to go home and click on YouTube and hear the message I want to hear. But this might be a passing through message for you that you need to hear because God is trying to touch something that you're not even in your radar. He's trying to touch something deeper. So you got to let him pass through. The 10 lepers, the 10 lepers, he's passing through Samaria. And, and they're like, heal me, heal me. And he's like, yeah, just go show yourself to the priest. And this is what it says. As they were walking, they were healed. 
They, he didn't even, he didn't even, he was just passing through. He didn't even stop. He didn't even stop. And one of them had to come and chase him because he was still walking. He said, that pass through miracle that you just did, I'm going to thank you for it. He said, I'm going to, I'm not going to go to the destination of showing myself to the priest. I'm going to thank the God who's passing through because he's just passing through where he's passing through. And I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him pass through. There's so many things in my life that I've been praying for God to do and he hasn't done it. But it would be a shame for me to miss the miracles along the way. It would be a shame for me to miss, and there's so many of us, we miss the miracles along the way. You may not get the healing, but you got the job, but you don't thank him for the job because you're still focused on the miracle of healing, but he passed through this thing. He's passing through it. He's passing through it, and as he's passing through it, he's touching everything along the way. Let me get back on track. He's touching everything along the way. He's touching everything along the way, and all he's doing is passing through. That was verse one. Let me get to verse two. He, he, He was just passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So Zacchaeus would have heard about Jesus. He knew Jesus because he heard about him, like some of us. Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Of course I know that he's my Savior. I heard about him. He's he's, he's my pastor's card. He told me about him. I was in Sunday school, and they sang a song about him. Zacchaeus' friend would have told him, hey, there's this man named Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's been healing people. He said that he's God. For some of us, we'd be like, well, maybe I'm saved because you've just given me information that I've received, and I've said yes to the information. And you don't don't get saved by saying yes to the information. That is not what the the Bible says. The Bible does not say, I'm going to give you information, and you say yes to the information. He says, I'm going to give you the sound, and if you receive the sound, not the word of the sound, not the message of the sound, but if you receive the sound, it is not the message of Jesus, it is Jesus that you receive. And until you receive him, you're not saved. So Zacchaeus just heard about him, And Zacchaeus said that he wanted to go see him. Now, I love Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus wasn't sick, he wasn't poor, and he wasn't marginalized. He just heard about something, and he had it intellectually, and he wanted to have it experientially. And so Zacchaeus wasn't sick. He wasn't, he, he wasn't trying to get healed. He wasn't trying to get money. In fact, Zacchaeus had a job. He was a tax collector. He was rich. He had rich friends. And he was healthy because he was running and climbing trees. There was nothing wrong with Zacchaeus. He had it all together, but still he wanted to see something. And so if, 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 if you're in, in your outline there, number one, we can know the kingdom of God when we position ourselves to know by experience what we know by intellect. So this is what Zacchaeus does. I want you to circle that word position yourself. Because Zacchaeus is interesting. There's a few things that are interesting about Zacchaeus that I love personally. I love the fact that Zacchaeus is short. And Zacchaeus knows that he's short. And I love the fact that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And he knows that he's a tax collector. Tax collectors had dignity. They were a man of great wealth, and they had money, and they needed nothing. They wouldn't run. They certainly don't climb trees. So Zacchaeus says, all right, I'm going to run ahead of the crowd because I don't want the crowd to see me. And he goes in, I don't know if you know, the sycamore tree has so many leaves that the people wouldn't even see him up there because it would be disgraceful for a tax collector to be up in a tree. Can you imagine a grown man sitting up in a tree? Like, I can't have, a gr- I can't have people see me, Zacchaeus, a grown man up in a tree. So he finds a tree and he's hiding up in the leaves. But this is what I like about Zacchaeus especially, is that he's short and he knows that he's short. So he positions himself around his own disabilities because he knows that he's not going to see otherwise. What if Zacchaeus was like, I'm just going to be who I am. I'm short. I'm short. I might not see him, but I'm going to hear his voice. But he's like, I know that I'm short and I'm going to position myself around the places where I know that I lack. He positions himself in the places where he knows that he lacks. This is why I love when, when people show up to things like Bible study. Like, you know, we'll come to church on Sunday, but it's like you show up to Bible study because I know the things I lack. And, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to position myself in a place to get something that I don't have. Because the worst thing I could do is pretend that I'm something that I'm not and never climb a tree. He accepts the fact that he's short, and he positions himself accordingly. He accepts who he is and how he is. It's like, well, that's just who I am. That's just how I am. Yeah, that's who you are. That's how you are. So position yourself accordingly. And he climbs up on this tree and Zacchaeus positions himself to experience something that he only knows by intellect. He says, I want to see Jesus. 
It's funny because Jesus is the one who is seeking. But, but, but the, the Bible says that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. And then later on in the text, Jesus tells him, I'm the one who've come to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus is the one who starts out seeking, but Jesus is the one who sought him. And so this will fit that context of, of uh, John chapter 1, verse 10, that Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. And though the world was made through him, it did not know him. And so that's why Zacchaeus went to know him, because he understood that there was something that he knew by intellect, but he didn't understand it experientially. And so he came to the place. Jesus comes to the place, and then he looks up and he tells Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And number two in your outline, we can know the kingdom of God when we receive Jesus on his terms and in his timing. On his terms and in his timing. That means that if Jesus wants to come into your house, the Bible says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. That's funny because John says that, that the world was made through him and the world did not know him, but to those who received him. And, 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 and so receiving him is, is, is not this, it's not this prayer of receiving him. Receiving him is where is he knocking? Where is he trying to come in? What is the thing that he is doing? He tells Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. Zacchaeus could have said, let's just have a picnic under the tree. Jesus wants to go to Zacchaeus's house. And the worst thing that Zacchaeus could do is not let him come into the house. Zacchaeus receives him. This is, this is the trajectory here. This is the trajectory. Zacchaeus begins to receive Jesus. He's not just hearing about Jesus. He's inviting Jesus into the places where Jesus says he wants to go. Where he says he wants to go. I want you to translate that and interpret that into your own context. The places where Jesus says he wants to go. It's his terms and it's his timing. That's why when I teach our ministry team and praying for people, I always tell them, don't you be praying for stuff that people don't want you to pray for, right? Like, like, don't, like, like don't, we don't just minister to the things that we see on the outside. I love it because sometimes, you know, people will come in and you see, or you have an idea or an inclination of what is happening. Like, I, I have friends who are, you know, can't tell you some of the things that they do, but I have friends who, who are men and women of ill repute, and, and, and when I pray for them and I engage with them, I, I don't always talk about the dope that they're dealing. I don't always talk about the pot that they're smoking. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't always talk, talk about the sexual issue that they have. I don't always pray that homosexuals become straight because it's his time and in his terms. What is he doing? Where is he going? Jesus is saying, I want to come into Zacchaeus' house. Not that I want to go on his job, not that I want to have a picnic with him. He wants to go into his house, and Zacchaeus receives him on his terms, in his timing. Again, let him pass through. What is he dealing with? So sometimes it's really easy for us to come to God in prayer and just tell him what we want him to do. But there, but there's so many times where I think we just miss what God is actually like he's showing up in some places already. And, 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 and it's just because, if you're anything like me, it's just because I'm talking so loud about the other thing that I don't hear what he's saying about this thing. Like, because he, he wants to come into certain places in my life as it is. He wants to talk to you about how you treat your wife. So maybe you need to shut up and start talking to him about the job that you want. Because he wants to come into that house. That's the house he wants to come into. And so the best thing we do is we invite him to come into the house where he wants to come into. Some of you looking at me all perplexed. Oh, because I said shut up. Yeah. So <laughs> like, did the pastor just tell me to shut up? Yeah. If, if you're talking about something God is not talking about, you may as well just. Because, because it's his terms and his timing. I'm, I'm not saying not to pray. I'm just saying to listen more than you talk. And sometimes, some, sometimes, just maybe sometimes, it's not even in the word. Again, I'm just using my experience because I know me best. In my experience, sometimes it's like, it's not even a word that God gives me. 
it's just like the thing that I keep thinking about. Let me tell you how you hear God. So I, I should explain this. How do you hear God even? How, how do I know if he's saying, I want to come into your house? How, how do I know this? How do I know where he's saying he wants to go? I'm glad you asked because the pastor's going to tell you today. This is how you know where God wants to go into your house and into your life. What is the thing that just keeps on coming up? You're not bringing it up. It's, it's kind of annoying to you even. You're, you're not even thinking about it. But either other people keep bringing up your attitude. No one who drinks ever think they have a drinking problem. It's always other people who have to kind of, hey, hey, maybe you've had one too many. Another one, another night, may, may, maybe again. And it just keeps coming up. Or, or maybe it's the thing that you keep thinking about, but it's kind of the subconscious thinking about. Like I'm driving in the car, and, and, and this thing just, like what I said to this person just keeps on coming back to me. And I don't know why. Let me pray for a better job. The way that I treated my spouse before I left the house keeps coming back to mind. But let me ignore that and pray for a better car. Like, what is he saying? Where does he want to go? What is the thing? Because if he's showing it to you, he's ready to come into the house. And so he says, you receive him on his terms and in his timing. And then Luke 19, verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. And that's okay, because everybody's going to complain about where you are anyway. You're never going to get perfect enough for anybody. People are always going to be mad about what you're working on. You should be working on your attitude. Shut up. Let me work on what God wants me to work on. Don't worry about people around you who are grumbling about where God is. There's some things in your life that God isn't working on, and he's not working on it right now. Maybe he'll get there later. But your job is to be where he is. Whatever he's doing, partner with him in it. Let him into the door that he wants to come into. Let him into the house that he wants to come into. And don't worry about the grumblers, right? Don't worry about the grumblers. Like, what is he doing? Like, you need to know that God is doing a work in you, that you're in season with him, that you're in relationship with him, that he's, that he's inviting you into places. If God is not inviting you into places, come on, he has to be inviting you. Where is, where is he inviting you into? He might be inviting you into, into someone's life. He might be inviting you to serve in some kind of way. He might be inviting you into different, but where is he inviting? Where is he calling you? Where is he calling you and are you receiving him? Because remember, knowing him is not a one-time experience. It is an ongoing process that produces fruit. And so he's continually inviting you into different things. This is, this is why following Jesus is so exciting this is why it's so exciting, because he's continually calling you, continually inviting you. So now they're at Zacchaeus' house. And I the Bible doesn't tell us what the conversation is, but Zac Zacchaeus is there, Jesus is there, perhaps his, his disciples are there, and they're laying down there because they have the mat and they lay down when they eat, and, and they're having dinner. And Jesus is having dinner at Zacchaeus' house, and the Bible doesn't tell us what happens. But he must have seen something that he's never seen before. He heard something he's never heard before. He thought something he's never thought before, because Zacchaeus becomes something that he's never been before. Something at the dinner. There's something about when you just invite him in. And I don't know what happens in that place. Miracles just work that way. Like, I, I always try to reproduce things that God do in my life because I like math and I like mechanics and I like systems and religion for some reason. And I always like to reproduce what God does in my life. It's like, well, well, I prayed this prayer and then I went to sleep and then I woke up and I called this person. So here's what you need to do to get your healing. You need to pray this prayer and then you need to go to sleep. And then when you wake up, you call this person because we love systems and procedures. But we don't know what exactly happens. But Zacchaeus just invited him. And they're having dinner. And I don't know if it's something Jesus said. I don't know if he just saw him. I don't know what it was. But Zacchaeus becomes a different person. And because he saw something he's never seen before, he heard something he's never heard before. And maybe that's what caused him to do something that he had never done before. This wasn't a good idea. Zacchaeus was transformed John 1 verse 12 says, as many as received him, like Zacchaeus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And, and that word right, to, to give the right, to, to them he gave the right. That word means authority. Like it, he gave them the authority to become children of God. Like he, like to those who receive him, he actually gives them the, the ability to perform an action is, is what that word means. It's like the, the ability to perform an action, like the right, like you have the right to be a child of God. And so Zacchaeus received him and Jesus gave him the ability to assume the condition of God's offspring. 
Now he could be God-like. He could do God-like things. And so he was changed and transformed because Jesus gave him the right because he invited Jesus in. Luke 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus, now he stood up at the table. So they're eating, something happens, and Zacchaeus just pops up, this transformed man. And he says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. I don't know what they were talking about, but I doubt that Jesus was telling him to give half of his goods to the poor. All he did was invite him into the place where Jesus wanted to go and just sat back and ate. That's all he did. He says, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And number three, if you're following along, we can know the kingdom of God when we exercise our ability. I want you to circle that word ability. When we exercise our ability to extend God's grace, truth, mercy, and justice. Because let me tell you something. Those things are choices. Those things are choices that transformed people make. Untransformed people do not produce these kinds of choices. They do not have the privilege of, of, of the ability to make these kinds of decisions. But, but when you know the kingdom of God, this is what it produces. The ability to extend God's grace, his truth, his mercy, and his justice. So the vision of the kingdom the vision of the kingdom, the vision of the kingdom is the passion of the king. And that's what happened with Zacchaeus. Jesus's passion became Zacchaeus's passion. Jesus was passionate about mercy and justice and the poor. These were Jesus's passion. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is transformed in such a way that he's living out Jesus's passion. He's not, he's not living out Jesus's instructions because instructions is not experiential. Instruction is the totality of a circumstance that I understand something and so I'm doing something. But he says, but something happened and he was transformed and he's living out God's passion. What is God passionate about? Love, mercy, justice, grace. And all of a sudden Zacchaeus was born again. In this experience, he becomes born again. John 1 verse 13 Right? So it says, but as many as receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And those children are the one who were born, not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. He says not of blood because he acknowledges him as a descendant of Abraham. And so he's not doing this because he's a Jew. John just wants you to know. It's not that he's Jewish that he's, he's doing this. And it's not by the will of the flesh. It's not because he thought it's a good idea and he's choosing to produce it out of his old flesh of who he was. And it's not because of the will of man. It's not because someone else told him to do it. But he says, these things are products of what was born of God. Zacchaeus becomes a new creation. And his life was changed. I'm going to share some things that I wrote in my journal earlier this, this week as I was reading this. Um, change is not restoration, revival, or renewal. Change is not restoration, it is not revival, and it is not renewal. Change is transformation. Change is a whole new thing altogether. It is a whole new thing altogether. And change is what is necessary. Love, mercy, justice, grace. Change is what is necessary. It is not revival, it is not restoration, Jesus comes and makes a whole new person of Zacchaeus. He's not revived into someone else. He becomes born again. He becomes a brand new person. And I have a quote there. There's a line there. Um, it says, change people, change the world they reside in because they live in the kingdom of God. Changed people, change the world that they reside in because they live in the kingdom of God. And where you reside is just where you are. But where you live is about your effort. It's about who you are. Where you live is about the who. Where you reside is just about the space where you are. And so, so many of us want to see a change, a change home, a change family. We want to see a change community. We want to see a change state. We want to see a change nation. And this does not happen by good ideas. Many people have been on CNN and on Fox, and they have lots of great ideas, but it's not changing. Because Jesus says that, you know, the wine and the, and the wineskins, you, you, you've got to be a whole new person. 
This is not good ideas. A whole new person, changed people, changed the world they reside in because they live in the kingdom. This is why you've got to know the kingdom of God. This is why you have to be in the kingdom of God and not just understand it from afar, but you've got to be in the kingdom of God. This was Nicodemus's problem. If you remember in John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the new birth and the new life, and Nicodemus couldn't fathom a new start without starting over. Listen to this. Nicodemus Nicodemus could not fathom a new start without starting over. Jesus told him about a new life, and he thought that it only meant that he needed to start over and do it again. Jesus says, no, I'm not trying to bring revival. I'm trying to bring a new person. I'm doing a new person. You will become a new person. He says, well, how can I do that if I don't start over and go back to my mother's womb? He said, no, no, from this day forth, I'm creating a brand new person that's never existed before. Like, this is, this is the sound. This is the testimony. God is not trying to change people's minds and ideas. He's trying to change people, new people. You become a new person. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, a whole new thing. The old thing passed away. And he becomes a brand new person. And knowing the kingdom requires us to be born into it. You, you have to be born into the kingdom of God. It has to be something that you just become a new person. And if, I, don't, I don't know who you are, where you are. I don't know what you believe. But especially if, if I'm, I'm going to use the word, especially if you're older, you don't need to start over and redo everything. You don't need to fix your mistakes, right? So many times we're like, I need to fix my mistakes to have a new life. Jesus says, no. Like, stop trying to crawl back into your mother's womb. I'm trying to do a new person right here. You don't have to start over to have a new start. From right here, I could create a new person. I can create a brand new person. And when we're born into the kingdom of God, all of our systems change. Our value systems change. And the things that we live for changes. Knowing the kingdom is living for something that's worth dying for. Knowing the kingdom is living for something that is worth dying for. It is living for something that is worth dying for. And how do I know if I'm living for something that's worth dying for? I'm glad that you ask. There's a way that you can measure this. Am I living for something that is worth dying for? Because if you're not living for something that's worth dying for, like I'm telling you, this, is, this, this, this almost ruined my entire week. This almost wrecked my entire week because I'm like, am I living for something that's worth dying for or am I wasting my life? I'm 30 years old. I, I'm, I know that I'm not that much old yet, but, but I'm going to get, am I wasting this? By the end of 2016, the, the next few months, would I have wasted this? Woke up on Wednesday and I told my wife, I, I want to change the world. And I know it sounds funny. I know it sounds funny. You can laugh at me, right? But, but, but I, I woke up because she saw that I was bothered because I was, I was in this word and, and it just, and I woke up and she said, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know what's wrong. And I went to bed and I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. And, and, and I woke up and I said, I said, I don't know if I'm living for something that's worth dying for. And it's bothering me because I don't know if I'm willing to die for the thing that I'm living for. So am I wasting my time? And I told her, I, I want to change the world. Like, I want to change, not the whole world. So I don't know what you're thinking. Well, how can you change the world? I know you can't change the world. You, what, are you going to run for the presidency? That's what I'm going to do, right? But, but when I say change the world, I, I want to change the measure of the world that is given to me. Like God has put me in a neighborhood. He's put me in a church. He's put me at the grocery store. Like my, my entire world. I, I want to change my entire world. I, I have the opportunity of coming in contact with so many people every single day. Sometimes, I'm, and if you send me an email in the past two weeks and I haven't responded, it's not because I, I have, it's just I've been super busy. I've just been in contact with so many people every day. It's just people after people. And I'm like, am I changing the world? Am I changing my world? Like people who, who, who are not transformed, like I have the sound, I witnessed the sound. Like, like the, I wasn't there when God said, let there be light, but then Jesus came and, and, and in him was light and life and he was the word and I received him. I didn't just hear about him and I have the sound and am I changing the world with the sound that I have? Or am I just like, ah, let, me just, let me just, you know, enjoy this life. Am I living for something that is worth dying for. And this is how we know. That second line, 
Knowing the kingdom is measured by what we strive to leave behind. It is measured by what we strive to leave behind. And I thought through my life and I said, I'm saving. I'm saving for my kid's college. I'm trying to buy a house. I want to leave behind this. And, and all these systems of things that I'm striving to leave something behind. What are you striving to leave behind? Because I don't know if you know this, but you're not going to be here forever. I know that might be scary for some of you. Some of you don't like to think about death, but it is what it is. We're not going to be here forever. And so you're in your life, whether you know it or not, in your life, I'm going to bring, 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 I'm going to bring you all into the struggle of my week. <laughs> I'm not going to do this alone, right? But, but, but in your life, whether you like it or not, you're striving towards something that you will leave behind you. Even if you don't have kids, the house that you're living in right now, somebody else is going to buy it or they're going to book to tear it down and build a CVS, you're working towards leaving something behind you. You're going to leave something behind you. If you're moving forward, something's going to be left, and you're striving for it. You're going to work. You're putting extra hours. You're making extra money, and then you buy an iPad. And, and, and then you put in some extra work, and you're away from your family, and you work a little harder, and then you take a vacation. And, like, you're striving. And, like, what are you striving to leave behind? Because that is what you're living for. What are you living for? And is that worth dying for? Is that worth dying for? Because if you're living for it and it's not worth dying for, there's something much greater. And I want to invite you to hear the sound of the kingdom. Because when you hear the sound of the kingdom, you hear something that says, I will die to leave this behind. My wife and I, my, my, my oldest son just, just, just turned four years old. And, and we're thinking, how do we leave behind this message? How do we leave behind the kingdom? How do we leave behind God? How do we leave this behind for him? Because this is the thing that has changed our lives. It has changed the trajectory of who we are. We, we got, we, this is why we got married. Like, this is why we did this. Like, how do we leave this behind? Are we working to leave this behind? Because if you're working to leave money behind, then that's what you value. Is that worth dying for? Like, are you working to leave behind the testimony of God? Like the sounds of eternity, the message of salvation, the goodness of the hope of glory, the man named Jesus. Are you working to leave that imprint? Because the reason why you're here is because people like Paul and Peter and James and John, like those people live for something worth dying for because they wanted to leave it behind for you. And it's changed your life. It has changed your life because someone lived for something worth dying for. That's the measurement. I'm not saying not to buy the iPad. Buy the iPad if you like it. But, but what I am saying is, are you living for something that's worth dying for? Are you living for, for something that's worth leaving behind? Zacchaeus wasn't just giving away money. He was sharing the kingdom. He was given the fruits of a changed life. He was a brand new person. And that's what he was giving away. He was witnessing because he witnessed the sound. He was bearing witness of what he witnessed. And he wasn't preaching ideas, but he was given a testimony. His whole life changed. He was a tax collector giving money away because he found something that was worth dying for and he decided to live for it. He decided to live for that thing. Jesus changed his life. And he said, if he changed my life, well then by golly, he should be changing everyone else's life also. Because if he really changed you, if that's the measure, like if, if, he, if he made you a new person, wouldn't you give that away? That's the measurement. Max, the worship team to come back up. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. He says, we know. Don't get distracted yet. This is the best part. Since we know, not that we believe, not that we have heard about it, not that we have ideas, and I know that your life might not be perfect. I know that God might not have done everything that he's ever going to do. But you know something of the saving and transforming grace of God. Amen. And he says, since I know that, we try to persuade others. Because that is the best thing I can leave behind. Yes. That's the best thing I can leave behind. So he says, well, I'm, I'm going to strive to leave this behind because I know this. And he says, we are, what we are is plain to God. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. It says, what we are, this new creation, is plain to God. 
In verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. It is the love of Christ that compels. It is the love that changed you, compels. And it says, we are convinced. Everybody say convinced. We're convinced, not by ideas, but by our experiences. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live shall no longer live for themselves. He died for all, so that you, you who live, shall no longer live for yourselves. He died for all, so that you would no longer live for yourself. He has changed your value system, and he's given you something that's worth dying for and worth living for. So you no longer live for yourself because you have heard the sound of the kingdom. You have heard the sound. You know what it is. You know the kingdom. You know the power of God. You know the transformative power of God. How dare you be around untransformed people and have the key to the life that they need and hold it a secret? But he died for all so that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them as he was raised again. And so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view because we live in the kingdom. He says, though we, were, though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation The old thing is gone and the new thing is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And when he reconciled you to himself through Christ, he then gave you the ministry of reconciliation. He released the sound and he gave you the responsibility of releasing the sound. And so the sound is not to be kept silent. Is it still a sound if no one hears it? If Christ has changed your life by the sound of the word that created the earth and the heaven and no one hears it, did it really make a sound? How do I know if I know the kingdom? Is there a sound that someone is hearing? Can someone hear the transforming power of my life? The people around Zacchaeus heard it when he was given back. Can they hear the sound of your life? Otherwise, the the tree has fallen, but did it make a sound? Did it make a sound? And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. He has committed you to the message of reconciliation because you have been reconciled, because you have been changed. He might not be done yet. But what he has started, you're responsible for releasing that sound. You're responsible for releasing that sound. Verse 20, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. Are you guys getting this? We, we are his ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us. He wants the world to know through you that God is in Christ, not counting your sins against you. And, I, and, and I, I need you to know that. I need you to know whoever's around you in your grocery store, in your neighborhood, in your family. I need you to know because I'm an ambassador for Christ. I've been changed. And I need you to know that God is in the person of Christ, not counting your sins against you. I know you count your sins against you, but he's not. And he just wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants to come into your house Will you let him and you release your sound. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the message. This is why you were changed. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's stand together. If if nothing else today, I, I pray that you understand the value of what you carry the fact that you have witnessed something, that you have bore witness to the sound that God made in the beginning before anyone was there. Something fell and you carry the testimony of the sound. And how do you know if you know the kingdom? Is it still making a sound? Is it still, is it still the passion of your life? As, has God's passion become your passion? He's making an appeal. He wants to save the world. Do you want to save the world? (laughs) God wants to save the world. 
His will is that none should perish. He wants to save the world so bad that he came into it. He wants to save the world so bad that he allowed them to spit on him and beat him because he didn't want to press more charges on them. He wants to save the world so bad that he stretched out on a cross and died for it. That's his passion. Is that your passion? Are you living for something that's worth dying for? He, he, he wanted to save the world so bad that even when he was in the grave, he says, I can't do it from the dead. And so he rose back up again because he wants to save the world so bad. That's his passion, the power of God that raised him from the grave so that the world could be saved. Is that your passion? His passion becomes your passion the more you invite him into the places where he wants to come. Then you begin to live for something that's worth dying for. We don't live for money. We don't live for things. We don't live for a nicer house. We don't live for that vacation. We don't live to please people. We live because we've experienced this transformative power of God and that sound has to be released. So Father, I I thank you, Jesus. I, I, I thank you that you have given us this mission and this ministry of reconciliation. And I, I, and I ask, Father, that all of our own symptoms and all of our own struggles will not be the forefront of what we're looking for you to do. Father, that you would use us in such a way that you would just pass through any area of our lives that you want to pass through and that we would trust you for the destination. So right now, Father, would you just put people on our hearts, our world, would you put our world in our perspective, God, whether it's our schools, whether it's our job, whether it's our neighbors, that we will no longer live for ourselves, that we will no longer live for our own glory, for our own fame, for our own comfort, but that we would know that there are people around us that need to hear this sound, that they need to hear the sound, Father. Would you show us the faces of our neighbors, Father, would you show us the faces of those who you saw as you hung on the cross, that we will no longer be silent. That those around us who are needing reconciliation, that we will no longer be silent. That we will not be those who who take sides in the midst of division in this country. That we will be agents of reconciliation. Father, that we will guard our tongues, that we will guard our, our, our hearts and that we will be agents of reconciling the world to you. Father, today, would you just come and release a sound that that we would hear again the truth of what you've done for us. That we would not forget that, that you have actually done this incredible work in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.